0: You're listening to a sermon from Bentree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit bentreechurch.com. Worship right there. That's good worship. Not, ah, I, let me just say this. We come from all over northern Colorado. A couple of you I've talked to today have come from out of state on vacation. We come from all walks of life. Some of you, man, it's been a hard week, and we live in just a difficult time. Some of you are close to Jesus right now. You've been with him every day. You've, You've read his word. You've prayed. Some of you, the last time you heard God's word read, it was me reading it to you. Today, what we do as we worship, as we sing as we worship as we give our voice back to god man what an incredible time but now comes the center of what we do it's kind of like this is what we come together for it is is the steak and potatoes amen, amen. The, the, we come for the word of god because listen this is the nourishment this is the ordinary means of grace that's poured out not because i'm a great preacher i'm not And I'm not looking for false, uh, uh, you know, say, hey, Paul, you're good. No, I'm like going, hey, we're just, I'm like the lunchroom lady. Like I'm dishing it out, like giving it onto your plate. Eat it all up today. This is good stuff will help you grow. So no matter where you're at, uh, what you do as a job or, or no job, maybe you're a student or just take a second to prepare your heart, just to ask God, even in these opening few moments, that like, God, you, you just speak to me. Feed me with your word. May your Holy Spirit be in this place. So, well, if I've not met you, uh, welcome. Uh, I'm not always this traumatic when I get up, but I just, I just want you to know I, I love you. I do. I, I love this family, uh, this faith family, and, and I want you to grow uh, so go ahead and get your Bibles out. We're going to be in the later cha- uh, section of chapter 5 uh, as we continue in this series titled So That You May Believe. And if you're, if you're able, uh, would you rise with me and just stand in honor of our text being read? Um, just an act of worship here. I'll read, you listen carefully. Let these words of Jesus, these are the words of Jesus, just kind of wash over you. Starting with verse 30. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John and he was born witness, he has born witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. This is the word of God. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now in the matchless name of Jesus. God, uh, wherever we are, God, would you um, just help us put our hearts right? And if you would right now, just in an attitude of prayer, just say, God, is there any sin in me? I need to confess. Confess that. Is there, is there any forgiveness that you need to to give, confess that. Oh God, I pray that your Holy Spirit just come right now. Open these words of truth. Feed us with the, uh, the words of your mouth, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. You may be seated to remind you of where we are. Jesus has just healed a lame man who's been laying by the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. And Jesus heals him on the Shabbat. And that's what the, uh, the Sabbath is called in Hebrew or Saturday, the holy day. This had enraged the Jewish religious leaders. They saw this as a direct challenge, an affront to their authority over their rule politically and religiously of the Jewish people. The leaders had already begun, even at this early point in Jesus' life in ministry, to have Jesus killed. A large crowd of ordinary Jewish folks had gathered to see Jesus while he was there in Jerusalem just to see him perform these miracles, right? I mean, they'd never seen that, to hear him preach. No one preached like Jesus. Jesus' own disciples were there with a fairly large entourage that followed him from place to place, town to town. And it's there that these Jewish leaders up front, getting right in front of everybody, they begin to confront Jesus about the healing of this man on Saturday. But instead of Jesus somehow backing down, going, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't know that that was the rule, Jesus had actually begun then to describe in greater depth and detail to his hearers who he really was. Well, this makes these guys really mad. We call this Christology or the study of Christ, and it's very important to understand who Jesus is because, hear me, if you get Jesus wrong... It doesn't matter what else you get right. Do Do you hear me? Because Jesus is our Savior and Lord. He has provided the way that we are brought into right relationship with God. What Jesus is doing here, as he begins to reveal to this great crowd who he is, he's also beginning to describe to them his purpose of why he came. And what we've seen over and over again these last few weeks together is to see how Jesus fits into the Trinity or what we call the Godhead. What has been so amazing about John 5 for me in preaching this is that Jesus had not only described his equality with God the Father but then his submission to God the Father. He shows us what we need and in that we have Jesus set up uh, for this foundation he builds, Jesus says, he says, I'm going to build this foundation and then on top of that foundation is the rest of the book of John. Makes sense? Jesus in these verses here in chapter 5 is making, well, just some breathtaking claims about himself. I mean, he claims to be equal with God the Father in his person, his works, his power, his sovereignty, his judgment, and his need for honor and worship of him. Now, then not only that, we saw Jesus then talk about raising people from the dead, both now and in the future and in our future to come. Last time we dove into that, didn't we? How Jesus has the power, he has the authority from God the Father to give spiritual life to whomever he wants and to raise the dead physically. In that one day he said that that all the dead he would raise physically and the redeemed of God, the children of God would go on, uh, to heaven and the reprobate, those who've rejected Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord would be cast into hell at that last and final judgment. So pretty heavy stuff, right? Some of those things I cringe to bring to you at first because like, oh man, it's not fun to preach on like judgment and hell, but, but we did and you're back. So here we go. So these religious leaders, his disciples, this big crowd of ordinary Jewish leaders, uh, of the uh, ordinary Jewish people. And then the Jewish leaders, they're asking this one question. Could this be the one, the Messiah that we've been waiting for, for a couple of thousand years at this point? Now, how can they be sure, what answer would they need to get? Because let's put ourselves in their little dusty sandals for a moment. At this point in history, it had been 400 plus years since God had spoken through any prophet at all. Quiet crickets. Quiet, certainly in terms of prophetic revelation from God. But let's be honest, not in terms of historical Significance. Lots have been going on historically. It was during this inter-testimonial period that the popular view of the Messiah was formed. That these guys held that a political and military leader would then restore Israel to its former greatness like Judas Maccabees, if you're familiar with history, great military leader, right? And they're going, yeah, Jesus is gonna come. He's gonna like ha- have machine guns. Ah, you know, he's gonna have, this is what he's gonna be like. Now, notice in that 400 years, they formed that ideal without any input from God. The Jews and their leaders were always looking for the Messiah to come, but no one had come. Well, I shouldn't say nothing had happened there, but there had been a number of guys that had come claiming to be the Messiah, right? Some more believable than others, just like we have now. Guys that are crazy or guys uh, that want to control people that go, yeah, I'm Jesus, But in the end, they had all been killed or found out to be a fraud and died in obscurity. These religious leaders saw it as their goal to reveal Jesus Jesus to be a fraud so that he would be killed along, along like all the others. Now, they didn't want to do it. They just want to rile up the crowd, have him stoned. Now, eventually, you know the story, they're the ones that push to have him killed, crucified. But every chance they get, every confrontation with Jesus proves more and more that Jesus is the Christ. They can't get a handle on this guy. So all these folks are asking, how can we know if this is the true son of God? I mean, Why should this crowd consider Jesus' testimony reliable when no one has been yet in the last 400 years? You've got all these fake guys coming along. Why is this guy any different? Well, it might help us to understand something about Jewish law and legal testimony that's allowed in court. God's word said in Deuteronomy 1915 said that only on the evidence of two or three witnesses or more shall a charge be established. So Jesus lays out some witnesses for these guys. And I think that there, there is really a case, you can say for four, and we'll say four, and maybe even a fifth. Now, Jesus puts out three, and I, it'll make sense when we get there. He gives three, and then I'm kind of expanding, not adding to the word of God, just how I'm gonna preach it today. Well, Jesus, knowing what they're thinking says this in verse 30 of John 5. He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Boy, may this be our prayer as well. But this right here is where we left off last time. Remember, we are a Trinitarian church meaning that we hold to an old school orthodox view of who God claims to be in scripture. From the very beginning in Genesis through the last chapter of Revelation, we see God described as one God existing in three persons. God the Father, God the... And God the... And and what we see here, right, is Jesus is saying right away that although he has the power... On par with the Father, he says, I can do nothing on my own. Jesus has all this power and yet is so connected to the Father in this perfect relationship of the Trinity. He says, I can do nothing on my own. He always operates in the the sphere of the Trinity there. But listen to what he says in the next verse. This is fascinating. Jesus says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony, is not true. Jesus is saying, look. You should be asking, is this guy telling the truth? And on top of that, Jesus points out the obvious that he says, I can't give witness about myself because it just wouldn't be right. You've got to have someone else give witness. Or in other words, my witness about myself does not meet the requirements of the law regarding the two or three witnesses to establish this as evidence, as truth. So Jesus says in verse 32, he says, there is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. What is Jesus talking about here? Who is this witness? Write this down. Here it is. You got it. The first witness that Jesus is the Christ is John the Baptist. John the Baptist. The first witness that Jesus is the Christ, Christ is the same word as Messiah or promised one or anointed one, is John the Baptist. Witness number one, come to the stand. So what did John the Baptist, or we also call him baptizer, say about Jesus? What was his testimony? Well, let's flip back in your Bible to chapter one for just a minute. John one, now not to confuse you if you're new to the whole Christian thing, Bible thing, There's a whole bunch of guys named John, a whole bunch of guys, or guys, girls named Mary. So Mary's not in this one. So there is John, the gospel of John, but it's not written by John the Baptist. It's written by John the disciple or John the apostle. Sometimes you'll even hear him referred to as John the evangelist. So he writes this, but he's writing this little section about John the Baptist, the baptizer, okay? The apostle John writes this about the baptizer. John 1, verse 6 and 7. He says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. When we study scripture, remember, we want to understand context. This is context is, is so important. And the basics before we go into the deeper meaning. So this is elementary, but let's do this. This is how we study the Bible. Who was John the Baptist? Write this down. Here he is. John the Baptist was sent from God. We're just getting this out of that That passage we just read. John the Baptist was sent from God. Now get this John the Baptist wasn't just a guy, some dude that that God found and said, I guess this guy could be the right one, maybe. No, no. He was created, John the Baptist was created for this specific mission. So, what's the mission? Number two, John the Baptist came specifically as a witness. I mean, that's his job. John the Baptist came specifically as a witness. And remember, we're pulling this elementary stuff out. This is, we just read that passage. This is John the Baptist's role. That's his purpose in life. That's why God had created him. And and what was the actual event for him to bear witness? Now, watch this. Number three, John the Baptist came to bear witness about the light. John the Baptist came to bear witness about the light. John the Baptist came to bear witness about the light. Now, hang with me. Remember, Jesus is bringing John the baptizer up here and is saying, he is my first witness. You got that picture? What, or should we say, who was the light John the Baptist would testify about it and bring witness about? Well, that, that's Jesus, right? I think that's pretty obvious, but let's say it, it's Jesus. But let's think for a moment, all through the gospel of John specifically, but you see it all through the Bible, John uses this picture of light and darkness. Now, we know that Jesus is the light, and and maybe we could really spend some time on preaching what it means to be the light because it's deep, deep biblical theological stuff that's amazing. But just to say Jesus is the light, and we would say things like Jesus is the light and he's the life, and Jesus is God. But don't miss this part. The reason the light comes is not just so people can see. The reason the light comes, it's that for sure, but they can see the truth of the light of Christ. But look, the darkness that we just talked about there is not an absence of light. Darkness here, whenever you talk about darkness, is talking about evil, sin, it's not the absence of just Jesus. It is sin. It is death. It is the land of no hope. A land of tears. Darkness is enemy territory. They want to kill you. It's like war movies. Anybody like war movies? Or what we also call good movies? <laughs> Beanie doesn't like war movies. I like war movies. Uh, where they drop soldiers behind enemy lines. I love Band of brothers, you know, they drop behind enemy lines. John the Baptist is dropped behind enemy lines. Notice John the Baptist is not the light, he says, but bears witness about the light. So, who is the light? Jesus. Jesus is called the light because he's bringing the light. Look, look, look. That destroys the darkness because he is the light. Are you with me? Jesus is coming. It's not just to push back the darkness. It's to defeat the darkness. To destroy sin. To destroy death. To defeat Satan and his angels who we also call demons. Now, why bring all that stuff out here? Because look back at John 1, 7. He, John the Baptist, I put it in here uh, so you know he is talking about He, John the Baptist, came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Now put this all together here. Look at number five. John the Baptist came as a witness that all might believe through him. Now, who is the him he's referring to? Don't answer yet. It's John the Baptist. It's not Jesus. Watch. Some of you are going, oh, Paul, that's heresy. No, watch. John is the agent who is carrying the light, is carrying the witness of Christ Jesus. So that you might believe. This reflects the courtroom language of the Old Testament where the truth of the matter was established on two or three witnesses. All right, back to John 5. Jesus is bringing his witness forward, so to speak. He says, my first witness for you to consider is John the Baptist. Now, all these guys listening to Jesus know who John the Baptist is, especially these religious people up front. But the crowd knows, everyone knows, especially these religious leaders. The baptizer had been a thorn in their side for years at this point. And he, he had all these people following him, Thousands, so they had confronted John the Baptist just like they're confronting Jesus. And let's look at this, um, look at it in context here. This is John 1, verses 19 through 23. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews, that's the Jewish leaders, sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed, and did not deny, but confessed... I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then are you? Elijah? He said, I am not. Well, are you a prophet? He answered, no. I love his answers are getting shorter each time. So they said to him, who are you? And we need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Here's what he says. I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. This is not only ringing some kind of alarm bells in these religious leaders that are questioning John, this is full off air raid siren, like incoming, right? This is an alarm going on because remember, it had been how long since they had heard from God? 400 plus years of silence. And he's claiming to speak as a prophet. He's claiming to be that one. In fact, look back just for a minute uh, to what God spoke to his people, the literal last thing that God says before he's silent for 400 years. Malachi chapter 4, last book of the Old Testament, verse 5 and 6. God says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, referring to John the Baptist, the prophet before the great an awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of other destruction and then, boom, silence. 400 years of silence. And now this first witness, John's going, by the way, I'm that guy. Now, we've looked at why John the Baptist is credible as a witness for Jesus. So what is John the Baptist's specific testimony about Jesus? Here it is. Look at verse 29 through chapter 1 of John, 29 through 36. The next day, he, talking about John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away, to the, away the sin of the world, this is he of whom I said, After me, comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me i myself did not know him but for this purpose i came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to israel and john bore witness i saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness, that's important, that this is the Son of God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Back to John 5, our main passage. Jesus says, You want a witness? You sure? John the Baptist is my guy. He's first up. All right, let's look at verse 33, John 5, 33. He says, You sent to John, he's talking to these religious leaders. He says, You sent a little delegation to him, right? You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. He gave you the witness already. Aren't you listening? So check out verse 33 when it says, you sent to John. Jesus is referring to these religious leaders. It is as if he was saying, you wanted testimony from John. Well, you got it. I'm the guy he was talking about. But then look at verse 34. Jesus says this. He says, not that the testimony that I receive is from man But I say these things so that you may be saved. Now, that's important, underline that, so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Now, this might sound confusing at first. So let's think through it. Everything John the Baptist had testified about Jesus was true. Do you agree? So what, what does Jesus say? Well, at first glance, it, it looks like Jesus is discounting then John as his first witness. But that's not the case at all. The last few weeks together, if you'll remember, as we've studied this passage, Jesus had emphasized his close, intimate knowledge of the Father. In other words, Jesus says is able to say whatever the Father says, he says. Jesus is able to do everything the Father has said to do. So what Jesus is saying about John the Baptist is that how could John the Baptist even add a little bit to that? Write this down. The reason for John the Baptist's witness is not for Jesus' own sake, but for the sake of his hearers. The reason for John the Baptist's witness is not for Jesus' sake. He knows who he is but for the sake of his hearers. Now, when we say the sake of his hearers, who is that? Well, you've got this crowd of three different groups, but who else? Us, the people that are studying the written revealed word of God so that his hearers may be saved. People are saved by believing in Jesus as Savior and Lord. John, the baptizer's own witness about Jesus He said that it may help them believe that was the purpose of his testimony at the end of the day so that you would be saved. Now, I know I say this a lot. I will for a long time, but uh, but here we find this may versus can again. This is where the teacher, uh, you ask the teacher when you're a little kid, you go, hey, teacher, I got to go to the bathroom. Do a little dance there because you got to go to the bathroom. And she says, well, can you? And I'm like going, I can right here. You know, I I go here. And then you remember the lesson that she gave on English. Oh yeah, may I go to the bathroom? This is important. Can indicates that someone has the ability to do something, but may, which is intentional, it refers to the permission of something happening. Do you see that? Although John the Baptist was not the true light himself. He was a lamp that held the true light that burned and gave the light of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit living within him, shining out in the way he lived. Now, this is so important. Once again, we see the Holy Trinity at work in the salvation of God's people. God the Father had willed it. Jesus makes it possible through his life and death as the God-man. But then the Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity to bear witness through John the Baptist. Now, the Holy Spirit is the light that John the Baptizer is carrying around. He is the fire. Folks, this is us, too, if we are believers. We are just like John in the sense that we carry the same Holy Spirit as a lamp to the world where we live. We aren't the light just as a lantern isn't the light but holds the fire. We bear the light of Christ because we have the Holy Spirit of God active and working within us. We, we carry that light in us as Christ followers to where God has placed us. By the way, that's no accident, where God has placed us. And as I say that, remember back to what we just talked about with light and darkness. You remember? The light is Jesus, and that light is not just light. Lighting the darkness, it is literally pushing the evil world back. It is destroying it. In the end, evil can't stand against the light. But right now, we're in a battle, aren't we? It's a dark place. You have the light of Christ. That just doesn't make things happier around you. You are destroying darkness with the light of Christ. Something I found very interesting here. Look back again at John 5.35. He, John the Baptist, was a burning and shining lamp. Underlined burning and shining. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his life. They liked it for a little while till he called for repentance. They didn't like that. Now look at that word burning and shining there. Why does the apostle... John, write that about John the baptizer. Why does he use both words? Aren't they the same? No. It's because he's describing process. You could translate the Greek to read the first half of the verse this way. He, John the Baptist, was ignited with a fire and gave light. The PPTV Stands for Pastor Paul Trimble Version. (laughs) I translated that from the Greek. I had PPTT, but that didn't sound right. Pastor Paul Trimble Translation. I just thought that was wrong. So, Look, to say John the Baptist was ignited suggests that fire from God, the Holy Spirit from God had come, had, had ignited his life. He didn't somehow, you know, out in the desert go, I think I'll be a witness for God. I think I'll be saved now. I think I'll get the spirit now and really be able to preach. He said, no, no, no. He was ignited. Like on the campfire, you use the lighter. You know, I use lighter fluid because I can now, I'm an adult. (laughs) Spray it. Some people say, don't use the whole whole bottle. I go, you like that? To say John the Baptist is ignited is to say we are also ignited, not by our own thoughts and power, but by Jesus. Ultimately, ultimately, John's light, his witness is God's witness. It's not his fire. That shouldn't surprise us when we read this in James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no... Variation of shadow due to change. Listen, we aren't good. We are wretched on our own. Jesus lights us. The Holy Spirit comes in and goes, Whew. In other words, although John brought the witness, ultimately the witness comes from God himself through John. And let's be clear, every good gift, every perfect gift comes from the Father by the Son through the Spirit. The Trinity is always at work. Now we'll come back to John the Baptist again in our series. But this is so huge that Jesus lists him as his first witness. I think that's pretty cool. So if John the Baptist is the first witness, who's the second? Listen carefully to the words Jesus uh, says as we read in verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Do you see it? Do you see it? This is Bible study 101. Look at this. The second witness that Jesus is the Christ are his works. The second witness that Jesus is the Christ are his works. I try to give you plenty of time to write this down, but I'm a fast talker. I want to keep going. I want you to notice something here. And that is that each of the witnesses Jesus will give in these first three gets stronger, each one of them, exponentially. The synoptic gospels, meaning Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell us of a ton of other miracles that Jesus does and they are powerful from healing the blind and death to raising the very dead. Now the gospel of John, on the other hand, doesn't mention as many miracles. That's not its goal. He knew the others existed. This was the last one written. He says, you know about that. But what John does is to call these miracles signs. What are the signs? Well, Write this down. Here it is. A sign is a symbol that points to something much larger. A sign is a symbol that points to something much larger. Now we'll unpack this even more, a little bit more next week. But what is the larger truth? What is the larger thing that Jesus Miracles are pointing to that He is the Christ, the Messiah. The miracles are signs or witnesses that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you remember when we were studying? Back forever ago. It's like Nicodemus comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness. He's a Pharisee, the teacher of teachers. He's the main professor if you think of it that way. He comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness so no one will know. And he says this in John 3, 2. He says, Rabbi, which means teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God was with him. God is with him. Now, why does Nicodemus say that? Because it's true. Because as a leading teacher of Israel, he knows after the study of Scripture, these works of Christ could only be done by God himself. Those other guys that had come as charlatan messiahs, they couldn't pull this stuff off. And he's he's lining that up, that truth up with the Hebrew Scriptures. He's going, look, I know them. He says, no one can do these signs unless you do this, if, unless you're God. By the way, these are religious leaders that are challenging him, Nicodemus, although we're not told if he's standing there or not, he is one of these guys, but he agrees with Jesus although he's secret. He's secret at this point. And yet these religious leaders are spiritually dead, aren't they? They can't see Jesus for who he is. Even with all these signs pointing. Like neon sign. Beep, beep, beep. Messiah. They can't see it. Why? They're blind. They're dead. Look at this. John 5 verse 37. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard his form you have never seen now remember who he's talking to these religious leaders he's never you've never heard his voice or seen his form and you do not have his word abiding in you for you do not believe the one whom he has sent now the last few times we've been together it's all been about this that the relationship of god the father and god Uh, And God as the son, Jesus, that's why this next witness is so crucial to understand. Here it is. The third witness that Jesus is the Christ is God the father. I told you it got exponential. The third witness that Jesus is the Christ is God the father. Now, talking about powerful as being a witness, what an understatement that is when God the Father said, yeah, this is my boy. I sent him. But Jesus makes clear in this passage that this witness that the God the Father gives it is a very personal one, a very clear one. He's giving it as the Father. Although the Apostle John doesn't record the, the story of the voice of God coming from heaven when Jesus is baptized, the other Gospels do. He is, he's probably assuming, John, uh, the Apostle writing these, he's probably assuming that these guys knew of the story, the hearing the voice of God and John's testimony. They'd probably heard it themselves. But what's clear is that the Father's endorsement of Jesus and all of his works are found in this specifically in the very scriptures themselves right here. In a very real sense, we could say this. The fourth witness that Jesus is the Christ are the scriptures themselves. The fourth witness that Jesus is the Christ are the scriptures themselves. Now Jesus gives three witnesses. I added this one on. It's really a part of the last one, isn't it? Because the Bible is what? The word of God. Jesus is the main character and the hero in this book. It's God the Father's story of eternal redemption. Jesus is the hero. Beginning with Genesis 1, 1 right here, all the way to Revelation at the other end. Revelation, what we read about is in the Old Testament back here is Jesus is expected. The Gospels are Jesus revealed. The, the, uh, the epistles are the letters like Corinthians, Right? That's Jesus explained. And we spent like two or three years on revelation. It's Jesus unveiled and expected again. It's all about Jesus. It's why we study the Bible so much here is that it is a witness to who Jesus is. The whole thing. For Christ followers, it is the air we breathe. And I know this sounds funny like when you pray and you go god would you help me do this i'm worried about this just pour out your heart to god do it every day god i need you to heal my hand i need you to do this please god i'm praying i'm believing if that is our <sighs> exhaling our spiritual breath our inhaling is the word of god reading it hearing it preached folks without this bible without the scriptures we would not have known God. I, I think this would be just a, a nuclear wasteland by this point if Jesus hadn't come. Because God reveals himself to us through these words. This is life. You hear me say this a bunch of times. I'll say it for the rest of my life. We study the words of God here at Ventry because in them we discover who God is in his fullness. We discover who we are in our wretchedness. And we discover who we really are intended to be in righteousness in our relationship with God. We discover how that relationship with God has been broken with sin, restored by the works of Jesus. And it gives us the ability as we apply these words of life to our lives to grow into a more full and real relationship with God. We say we go deep to what? Grow deep. We want to know God for who he truly is. Because it's in these words in the Bible that will reveal him through the power of the Holy Spirit, unlocking those in there. As we hear those words preached, as we study them. I do want to just touch on something here. We don't have time to go far, but I just got to mention it. Um, you see, I can say all that about the Bible being the words of life. But then when someone who is lost and it's not come to life by the power of the Holy Spirit reads it and says, I don't get it. This is just a bunch of fables, just a bunch, it's nice. Some people it just goes garbage. And if you're a believer, you go, no, 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 that's the words of life. Paul said that's words of life. Steak and potatoes right here. It's words of life. And if you're a believer and you think, no, 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 this is life, but they're going, I don't see it. You see, we have this internal witness of the truth of God's word given to us through the working of the Holy Spirit in us, living within us, begins to open this up as life. It's the witness of the Holy Spirit that we have been born again. When you go, I've read this like hundreds of times. How did I not ever see that? Well, the Holy Spirit just, what just showed you what it is. Have you ever run across that? The apostle Paul tells us this in first Corinthians. I love this. Chapter one, verse 18. Paul says, for the word of the cross, talking about the gospel is folly to those who are perishing. God said the world doesn't know nothing. But they cling to that nothing because that's all they have when they're dead spiritually. Now, this is a difficult thing for believers. We can share the gospel with spiritually dead people, and we should. That's what our life is about, the unsaved. But listen to me. It takes the Holy Spirit of God alone to raise the dead. That's his job. Our job, we just point the truth of Scripture out. We share it. We go, this is where I found life. And like Paul says here, this will seem to be foolishness to those who are not yet saved. Those I go, "You're, you're whacked. Why do you believe this? By the way, this problem over the last 150 years in the United States, I love church history. I love it and hate it. Because of the story it tells. But church history in the last 150 years, and especially in the last 50 years, has caused so many churches that leave the Bible behind in their preaching and their teaching. In order to appeal to more people and get more influence in the world, they have left much of the hard messages of Scripture behind. They simply leave out messages like sin, that you are a wretched wreck. They leave out the consequences of sin. That they leave out that there is no other religion or that will save you or anything you can do, and that is Jesus alone that provides salvation. The blood atonement of Christ Jesus is what purchased my freedom. Or, or they'll leave out or the need of repentance in the lives of believers that we're saved, but we constantly have to repent. And I get it, I, I do, I do. You think it's, it's not tempting to try to preach messages that will make people happy and just affirm what you already believe? Let's pack this place out and, and, and I think, well, you know, let's just give them the stuff that makes them feel good. I mean, I can rationalize that and think, well, there are a lot of good things that I could say and preach on that would help people live a better life, affirm them, puff them up. Things like how to vote. Uh, uh how to manage your money listen before i was a pastor i was a stockbroker financial advisor i can tell you what to do with your money i i could tell you how to vote i i research all that stuff i could tell you how to manage your time and resources how to live a happier healthier life wait i probably can't do the healthier part Listen, there are tons of good things out there. Good, little g, good things. But listen, none of them will give you life. Many churches have caved into this idea that, oh, you can read the Bible anytime. So our preacher talks about how to be happier in life and enjoy life instead of all that blood stuff and eating his body. But we won't be like that here at Bentry. We'll make this Bible the center of our teaching because Jesus said this is the witness right here that tells who I am. Absolutely. And it's that truth that we have to live out. And that, not how you manage your calendar or manage your checkbook. Praise God for that, but it's a difficult road to travel. As a pastor, let me just say to stick with the words of the Bible as a witness to who Jesus is because some people don't like you very much when you do that. They say you're a hater and you're on the wrong side of history. On the other hand, I'm okay with that because because the truth of the matter is that we are called to give witness to the truth whether people like us or not. Besides, if you want everyone to like you, Sell ice cream. Everybody likes the ice cream salesman. Otherwise, you'll make someone mad at you. Okay, Jesus gives to this crowd four witnesses that he's the Son of God. Think about it. John the Baptist. His works that serve as a witness for who He is, the Father Himself. That's really the three Jesus gives. And then we added a fourth, uh, the Scriptures, the voice of God. It's a way of just expanding number three, brought to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And although Jesus doesn't list the fifth one out specifically, I think a fifth one we can walk away with here is that Jesus is the Son of God is this. The fifth witness that Jesus is the Christ are true believers And followers of Christ. The fifth witness that Jesus is the Christ. Are the true believers and followers of Christ. How true believers live their lives. Gives witness to what they believe. I picked those words specifically to say because true believers will always be followers of Christ in the way they actually live their life. But sometimes the way we live our lives isn't always visible and therefore not a good witness to Christ being the Son of God. We keep the light hidden. Listen to me. That's most of you in this room. You say you believe. Praise God. I I hope you do. But for most of you, there is no real evidence that you're Christ followers outside of this. Listen to what Jesus tells believers about how to live in this world. Matthew. Verse five, uh, chapter five, verse 14. Jesus says, you, talking about believers, are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all those in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do people at your school know you're a believer? When you see them going through a difficult time, do you say, "Hey, can I pray for you?" And, and when they go, "Sure, you would be okay if we just prayed right now." Amen. Do you do you share with them why you love Jesus? Do you go like, "Hey, I was a wretch, like I really no darkness in me before Jesus found me." Do you offer a reason why you have joy? How about love and hope? In short, are you a light in a dark place? Like John the Baptist, he was often seen as crazy, as a crazy witness, shining the light into the world which he lived. Everybody thought he was crazy because life for him was letting the Holy Spirit of God burn so brightly that it revealed who Jesus was. Well, what if our lives did that? It might be called crazy. Now, don't take that request to let your light shine, don't take that lightly. Consider it, all the ramifications, before you turn the keys over to Jesus and say, okay, I'll I'll let you run my life. I'll, I'll let you let my light shine. In other words, will you, like John the Baptist, like John the Apostle, like the other apostles, let your light shine in the darkness. Let the fire burn brightly within you. In Jesus's last words to his disciples, he was being raised up physically to his heavenly throne, with the promise to return and take us home. And so, this is the last thing he said. Pretty important, wouldn't you say? He says in Acts one eight. But you, talking about you, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come. He's talking to his disciples. The Spirit, Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And they were, they went out, but he's talking to us here. Listen to me. If you are in Christ, if you have been saved, if you were wretched like I was, it is the power of the Holy Spirit that has called you to life by the power of the gospel being shared with you. You have the power now of the Holy Spirit inside you. It is interesting to me that when the Holy Spirit did come upon these guys in the next chapter, chapter 2 of Acts, as they began to speak in other tongues and prophesy about Jesus, and all these people from different lands go, Wait, those guys are not from my land and they're sharing the gospel with me? What's interesting is... Is that also with the coming of the Holy Spirit was a sound, not a mighty wind, but the sound of a mighty wind, and what else? Tongues of flame that appeared to be burning off their head. Now, we're not told that it's hot, but what does fire also do? It gives light. Let me tell you, when you follow Jesus as Savior and Lord, and the Holy Spirit begins to change you and gives you a new way to... Feel in your heart a new way And your mind to think it shows The people around you see it The light of Christ Jesus begins to shine And it pushes back the darkness The evil is pushed back By the light in you You're not the light, you carry the light Let's be witnesses for Jesus Let's pray Heavenly Father we come to you God I love this church I do I pray that you would Help us to to live for you Jesus let that light shine God I think about all those that have just looked at eye to eye in this room with schools and universities and places of work and in homes and neighborhoods letting their light shine that each person would carry that light that life and that it would spread. God, I pray that you'd make us bold. Help us to be unafraid. To give the truth, yes, but to give it with love as well. To care for people, to pray for people. God, we lay this before you as a church. Make us into the church you want us to be, but make us into the individual light bearers you want us to be. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bent Tree Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit benttreechurch.com.